Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Thanks for coming, guys. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I guess we'll just talk a little bit about our books. Uh, I'm sorry, microphone's really. Yeah, I'm gonna maybe hold it. Okay, um, so this is my second book, uh, Little and Lion, and it is also a young adult novel, and it is set in LA, which I'm so excited about because LA is my favorite city, as we all know. Um, <laughs> and it's about a brother and sister um, who are sort of navigating uh, the brother's recent diagnosis with bipolar disorder, and um, the protagonist, Suzette, uh, returned home recently from her first year at boarding school out east, and she thinks she might like girls, and then she and her brother might end up liking the same girl. Love triangles. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll never apparently stop writing love triangles. So. Right. And then in the next book, what is that? The next book is like a total love triangle. <laughs> <laughs> really, really great love triangle. Um, yeah, thank you all for being here. I think, um, yeah, we're going to talk about our books a little bit, maybe read a little bit, ask each other some questions, and then. Um, Maybe you guys have some questions. This is the second time we did we did a book event up in Berkeley together. So this is our uh, yeah two weeks ago our big double trouble. Brandy <laughs> and Stephanie take California. Right? What's your book about? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I can't be the only jerk who talks about my book. Right. Talk about me. Yeah. Um, actually, it's my my fifth book. Um, when I am through with you uh, is a sort of creepy thriller about a uh, school, high school uh, orienteering club that goes on a really ill-fated backpacking trip in which many, many, pretty much everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Um, and really the story sort of set up around um, the main character, Ben, who was a boy at the very beginning, uh, in the very first chapter, tells you that he, uh, like that on this trip, he killed his girlfriend, his much, uh, much loved girlfriend, Rose, and then he goes on to confess uh, how that happened on the trip. Um, so yeah, a lot of moral, moral ambiguity and moral failings and yeah. darkness. It's really scary. And it takes place, though it doesn't take place in Los Angeles. It doesn't take place in Los Angeles. It takes place um, in the Trinity Alps in, in way, way Northern California, near the Oregon border, in a really, uh, beautiful and very remote and hard to get to uh, mountain called Thompson Peak and um, it's gorgeous actually went there my husband took me there we went backpacking it's really it's about as treacherous as it really is in the book to get there it's gorgeous though it's sort of like Yosemite without all the people um, so it's definitely worth it um, a beautiful beautiful part of the state and I love California so it's always fun for me and my books to sort of explore different places in the state that I find interesting or nostalgic for a certain reason, um, and this was definitely one of them. Okay. What are you doing? Okay, yeah, I'll read, I'll read, okay. I'm going to read, I'll read a, just a tiny bit, um, just to give you, well, okay, so, um, the part that I'm going to read is close to the beginning, but, um, so I mentioned, right? So Ben Ben kills his girlfriend Rose, and he loves. But as you as he starts to tell the story about everything that went wrong and um, exactly how what he says happened happened, um, you learn a lot about him and his relationship with his girlfriend, and uh, it, it's something that he very much idealizes. And you come to realize that maybe it's not as perfect as he thought it was. And there's a lot in his history with his mother, um, as there always is. I am a uh, so there's a lot in his relationship with his mother that again is getting repeated in this other relationship. He um, was raised by a single mother and she's got uh, kind of a lot of issues from her own upbringing um, that perhaps has taught him to not really understand what love looks like um, or what a healthy relationship might look like. So I'm going to read just sort of a small bit that uh, it's the first part in the book that really introduces his mother. My mother got into a car accident two days after Rose left. 
It's tempting to see that as an omen of some sort, proof of the intervening hand of fate. But it's hard to read too much into something that's happened before and is almost sure to happen again. This time, she missed a turn on the interstate at around 1 in the morning and ended up 20 feet down the hillside embankment with the Ford's front end smashed in. She, however, had nothing worse to show for it other than a broken wrist, a bad attitude, and cuts from the glass. I was mad at her for the accident. I remember that. There were no skid marks, and my guess was she'd fallen asleep while drunk, although she insisted she'd swerve to avoid hitting a fox that had run into the road. She didn't deny the drinking. The grim daughter of even grimmer Estonian immigrants, my mother learned young that the most effective form of rebuttal was silence. Regardless, the car she grew in wasn't just hers, but mine, and I knew I'd have to work two jobs to pay to fix it. After she'd taken a cab home from the hospital and gotten herself settled in bed with her bottle of Vicodin, all while willfully ignoring the ruined Ford I'd had towed that now sat in the street leaking antifreeze in front of our sagging bungalow, I slouched my way down to the auto repair shop on Bloomington to see if they would work with me on a payment plan or, bar or, bar or barter of some kind. I could do oil changes at least, rotate tires, take out the trash. When I got there, Avery Diaz, the owner's daughter, was standing behind the counter. I'd known Avery since elementary school. We'd been in most of the same classes. She was smart, we were friendly. Seeing her got my hopes up and I explained my plight as humbly as I could. Avery listened to me, her dark eyes warm, but reached to squeeze my hand when I'd finished talking. Sorry, Ben, my dad won't work that way. I nodded and thanked her, then left the shop. That night I stayed out late, alone, it wasn't like me, but I didn't tell my mom where I was going and refused to answer any of her texts when she tried contacting me. Instead, I walked through the woods to the empty cliffs above the Eel River. In good years, when the water ran high, people would party there, diving from those cliffs to knife the glassy surface below. But the cliffs were empty. The water hadn't been high for a long time. I sat and watched the moon, the starry vastness of the sky. I was lonely, I suppose. But I wasn't thinking of my girlfriend and all the ways I missed her. I was thinking of my mom, of a fox caught in her headlights. My father had abandoned us both when I was two, never to return. And now she crashed our car on the only road heading out of town. Where had she been going without me? So I'm going to read from, I'm just going to start at the beginning, chapter one. It's bizarre to be so nervous about seeing the person who knows me best, but the past year hasn't been so kind to Lionel and me. I'm standing outside LAX on a sun-soaked afternoon in early June when my brother's navy blue sedan screeches to a halt a few feet away. Part of me doesn't mind that he's 30 minutes late because I needed time to get used to the idea of being back home. But now he's here and my heart is thumping like it's going to jump out of my mouth and there's nowhere to go. Lionel bolts from the car and barely looks at me before he starts rummaging around in the trunk, shoving aside a plastic crate filled with used books to make room for my luggage. I am so sorry, he mutters. The freeway was a nightmare. There really is no such thing as traffic back in Avalon, Massachusetts. People don't honk their horns. They put up with totally inconsiderate shit, like neighbors stopping their Volvos and Sobs in the middle of tree-lined streets to chat with friends, clogging up the road so no one else can pass. LA drivers would honk until their horns went dead while flipping them off and threatening murder. <laughs> and I have missed that. Lionel hoists my bags into the trunk, slams it closed, and turns to give me a quick hug. But it feels perfunctory, and that makes me stiffen in his arms, and I wonder why we're acting like strangers. I relax a bit when I notice he smells so much like he is supposed to smell, like the coziness of our house and the mustiness of his car, which is always filled with hiking shoes and old books. I'm almost overwhelmed with the reality of actually being home and standing next to Lionel. For a while now, not just a weekend or a few days clustered around a hectic holiday. I'm home for the summer. Good to see you, little, he says, pulling away as he tugs one of the black dreadlocks that hang to the middle of my back. That name never sounded so good. My brother calls me Suzette only when he's feeling anxious, and I'm relieved that he seems so calm right now. I smile and pretend like I'm not examining every single inch of him for changes. Yeah, I don't look too East Coasty. I glance down at his thumbs. Before, they were shredded, the sides of them forever bitten and spotted with red. Now they are smooth and the skin is clean, and I think that's a good thing, too. He squints at me, blinks, shakes his head. Nah, they haven't broken you yet. You, when the hell did you get that? 
My fingers automatically go up to the tiny gold hoop on my face. It's a septum piercing. Badass, but still classy, according to the girl who put the needle through my nose at the only tattoo parlor in Avalon. Do you like it? He leans closer, his eyes glued to the jewelry. Yeah, never pictured it on you, but I dig it. Does Nadine know? Nadine doesn't know. She's my mother, and she's been with Lionel's father, Saul, since I was six and Lion was seven. We merged households two years later. Lionel and I have called each other brother and sister since then, and that surprises some people at first, because he's white and I'm black. Though we've been built-in best friends for practically our entire lives until last fall, when boarding school separated the inseparable. Well, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'd love to just hear kind of your story behind writing this book. Um, I feel like, so we, uh, one thing is, is we've known each other, we met in a like, online debut group when our first books came out. Our friend Kristen helped coordinate. <laughs> <Yeah. together. laughs> um, and we became critique partners, so we'll share our manuscripts with each other um, and give each other feedback, which is a hard, sort of scary, vulnerable thing to do. Um, and when you find somebody who gets your writing uh, and can give really helpful, informative, uh, critical feedback, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, so we've been close, I think, ever since then. So I've read, I read iterations, I think, of this book as it sort of evolved from something very different um, and I wonder if you could just talk about that and what it, what it was like to write it and yeah, your sort of story behind it. Yeah, I mean, I can't even think of the versions that you saw as looking back. I mean, it was a very different story when I started. Um, it was hard. Like everybody says the second book is hard, like the sophomore slump you want to avoid. It was really, really harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, I was writing under contract, so that's always like a different sort of um, experience than when you have your first book and you've worked on it for years. <laughs> you know, everyone's seen it after so many drafts. Um, but I think at the core of it, I wanted to sort of write um, a brother-sister story, like a sibling story. Um, I have four brothers, one of whom is here right now. Sorry, Derek. Um, <laughs> uh, but we're all really far apart in age. Um, my older brother is six years older than me, and then, you know, uh, 16 and 18 years between me and my younger brothers. Um, so I was kind of like, what would it be like to have a sibling that's like a year older than you and like you actually are going through high school and like kind of um, um, commiserating when your parents are <laughs> too tough on you and that kind of thing. Um, but then I didn't want it to be like a perfect sibling relationship because I don't think that exists. Um, and so I wanted to like throw a wrench into it and I was like, well, what if they were dealing with some sort of mental illness. Um, and so I always like to sort of write about things that I don't actually know or understand much about. <laughs> um, and so, you know, bipolar disorder was not something that I had a lot of experience with. The, the first instance I remember kind of learning what that was was when I was in elementary school and I had a childhood friend and her mom, we called it manic depression back then in the 80s, um, and she had manic depression, and I just remember she was very moody, and I didn't understand, understand what it meant, but nobody was talking about it. Um, and so that's my issue with um, a lot of mental illness, is that like nobody talks about it. And so I really wanted to like write a book where we talk about it openly. Um, so I read a ton of different memoirs um, of people with bipolar disorder um, to try to get that right as much as I could. Uh, but then, you know, then that's not uh, the main character's story, so she had to have sort of her own story too. Um, and so then I wanted to dive into sort of like, well, what if she's questioning her sexuality? Um, I'm always sort of writing books that I think weren't really available when, like, I was growing up in the 80s, 90s, um, as a kid and a teen. Um, and although I, you know, I'm not a member of the LGBT community, it's one I very much respect and one that I wanted to portray very well. Um, but I couldn't think of it also any books that have, like, black girls questioning their sexuality in it at all. Um, so just a bunch of things that I was curious about that I wanted to sort of explore and sort of just put out there. And then it just sort of, you know, people always say there's a lot of stuff going on in my books. Um, and there is, but yeah, I think that's sort of how it all came together. So, what about you? <laughs> so this book is like, yeah, I read an early version, but stuff's drafts are so polished. She'll be like, this is a big mess, and then I read it, and it's like, this could go to press tomorrow, and it would be great. <laughs> um, so, but it's, I, I have a strong reaction to all of your books, but this is when I actually had to, like, sit down when I was, like, reading it, and, like, walk away, because it was so scary. So, how did you, <laughs> how did you write this scary book? 
<laughs> no scary. Okay, maybe it's scary. Uh, it's upsetting, I guess. Or I think of it as sad, uh, perhaps. Um, sort of. I think that I'm really interested in something I keep coming back to in my books. Um, and maybe I guess in a way it's something I feel like I don't. Uh, maybe I didn't see it. A, I didn't see it a lot in YA when I read, or something I think is really interesting, and yet I feel like it's sort of this conversation around like why I need to have hope and promise. Yay! Um, and and I love I love hope. Uh, <laughs> I really do, but I also am very intrigued by uh, fatalism. Um, right, the idea that we have these fatal flaws that we can't escape, and that. You know, maybe something that at that age, as a as a teenager, just those concepts of like, right? Do we define our? Do we do we make our own fate? Do we have free will? Um, can we escape who we are? Can we really change who we are? Like those are just interesting questions to me. And so I love writing stories that kind of explore um, people who may or may not <laughs> escape their own fate, as well as having this idea of sort of like a fatal flaw. Um, so I think with this book. I started with this idea of, you know, what if you, when I've been reading a bunch of old-timey books, uh, so They Shoot Horses, uh, Don't They, was a big one. Also, The Postman Always Rings Twice. Um, these ones in which men kill women and sort of things like, whoopsie kind of ways. Um, and wanting to start with this idea, like, okay, can you do that in YA? Like, can that happen? Can you have a, a book in which someone confesses to doing something that's unforgivable and still tell that story in a way that's not gratuitous or exploitative or over the top, but still empathetic as to who that character is. And so, and so then it was trying to figure out, so who would that boy be? And coming up with this character who, um, you know, just based on his childhood and sort of all these other things that make up who he is that you come to understand in the story, he's very submissive, he's very passive. He, more than anything, wants the women in his life to love him and to give him approval. And to him, that's everything. And without those things, he's worthless. And so that's like his defining quality. You know, whether it's his mother or his girlfriend, he needs them to love him and give him approval. And of course, his neediness is sort of what disgusts them in a way. Um, and so you have this character and then put him in this like terrible situation in which not only does he have to um, like lose this love that he craves more than anything, but he has to be the one to like make it go away and just sort of how devastating that would be. And so that was kind of, I know, sorry. Um, so sort of taking, like, thinking of that conflict and then trying to make the story around it and that kind of, um, then a lot more sort of went into it in the story of these kids on this backpacking trip. Again, also wilderness, like man versus nature is this very, um, frightening idea, but I think I also, again, I think I've been reading Deliverance, the book, not the movie. Um, every time I say it, I'm like, no, that doesn't happen. Um, uh, but this idea, I think there's a, so many stories in which this, there's like, the idea of, it's like Old Yellow, like where it's like a, man, like a boy comes of age through killing somebody or something else, like something that he loves. And, but this, like, that's never a girl's story, right? Like girls are like nurturing and sweet, they never kill anything. And so kind of wanting to, I don't know, turn that a little bit on its head, like still follow that story, but also make it like something like kind of more disturbing and not as inspiring because I don't really think killing someone is a way to find oneself or to find, um, <laughs> to find out what kind of man you are. That's what I start saying. And so wanting to play with that idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, so setting is a big, um, wait, it's your turn now. Home. Setting is a big um, part of your books, and all except for your first book are set in like Northern California area ish. Yeah, big Sarah. Okay, right. Anything north of LA, we're like that's Northern California, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but can you just talk like, a little bit about setting? Like, I always just feel so transported when I read your books. Like, I'm like I'm there, and I, I think it's very evocative, and like not every author is so skilled at creating like a setting that almost seems like a character in the book. Mm -hmm. So what are you what are you inspired by or like how do you manage to do that? Yeah, I mean I think I've ended up picking settings is you know, especially these, and I love California. I mean I think so that's just something that I love sort of sharing these parts of California that maybe people don't know as well. Um, and there's just so much sort of like subculture and interesting things that just define what California is. And I love kind of just playing in that and being in that. I grew up in Berkeley and like that's such a weird sort of um, 
this atmosphere to that place. Um, and so that's something I try and bring. So I think I feel like I, I pick these settings in which I have some sort of nostalgic connection to, so some sort of passion. Um, actually, this one was not necessarily the Trinity Alps themselves, but um, the, the town where they live before they go on the backpacking trip is in Humboldt County. It's like a small Humboldt County on the Eel River. And I had this high school job. It was like I was working for this like nonprofit environmental group where we would go, you know, the door to door asking for money and you know, doing field canvassing. And it was in the late 80s. I mean, it was, we went and we would go up to Humboldt and do these crazy camping trips on the Eel River. And there was reggae on the river. I mean, it was very sort of that was this coming of age time for me that I think of. Um, but there was also sort of all this interesting conflict at the time. It was like the earth first versus the loggers type of political stuff that was going on. And sort of anytime you knocked on anybody's door, you never knew who you'd, who you'd get when you were talking about some sort of environmental thing. Um, and so it was also very tense. And I don't know, just like there's just all this inherent conflict in this beautiful setting and wanting to portray that. And so I think having my own emotional connection mm -hmm. definitely helps. Um, but yeah, what about you? What's because you didn't grow up here, so. No. Um, yeah, so LA, my first book was set in a fake suburb of, uh, suburb of Chicago. Um, but I feel like almost like, I don't know how you actually like define how long you've been in LA, if you're like an actual LA person, but I've been here since 2002. I left for four years to go to Chicago. We don't talk about that anymore. Um, but my dad, who's here, um, actually drove me out here and um, like just almost from the minute like the U-Haul, you know, hit LA, I was like, this is home. Like I remember going out that first night and like not really understanding how you drive out here, how you throw yourself into an intersection, <laughs> hope for the best when you have to turn left. Um, but it just, it feels like home and I, I especially found um, what feels like home on, you know, this side of town, um, sort of like Echo Park area especially, and that's where the book is set. Um, and it just felt like I really just wanted to sort of write like a love letter to LA um, and just all the places that I love and all the things I love about it. Um, so for me it was really sort of like trying not to cram every single thing I love about the city into like one book, because um, hopefully, you know, more in the next book that I wrote is set in LA. Um, but yeah, just kind of getting to write about a place that feels like home, but that you don't really have the baggage of actual home, I think, and just trying to bring that to life and share my love of the city. So I have another question for you. Um, what about, so her first book, Point, if you haven't read it, is beautiful. I love it. It's dark, though. I think in a way that this book isn't. Um, and I wonder what that was like, sort of writing something very different um, from your first book in, a, in, this, in an emotional way, in sort of the topic and kind of how <laughs> the first one is. Yeah, and it, the first one is really dark. Um, and one of my favorite reviews I've ever, I probably mentioned this last time, but one of my favorite reviews I've ever read of Point said, this book made me sick to my stomach, you know? <laughs> it's just like, cool, like a good, a strong reaction is like, a good reaction. Um, but it is really dark and it is, I think, um, you know, it's one of those books that you can't really say what happens on the back. And so people read it and they expect like this sort of like, you know, okay, maybe her toes will bleed a couple times from her point shoes in the book. And then it's like, no, it's really serious stuff is going down in that book. Um, so I didn't set out to make this one lighter in any way. And I know for some people it's probably going to be like more, like they're still going to think like it's really serious because it deals with mental health. But to me that's like every day. Like my friends and I are always talking about mental health issues um, and how that affects things. Um, but yeah, it was different. I guess it was a little bit lighter. There were just like a couple of scenes in this book that I think were like a little more intense as opposed to like a whole book <laughs> scenes like that. Um, but yeah, and I guess maybe it did allow me to sort of more focus on like the setting and that kind of thing instead of just like, I think the, the first book was more, she was really, really in her head, like very, very in her head. And I think maybe not so much with this book because she's looking out for her brother and she's sort of like, she feels like she has to be on alert um, and sort of try to make sure that he stays on track with like his mental health or what she thinks is on track. So I have a tough question for you. Well, we talked about this last time. So there's a lot of talk um, in the writing community, but especially the YA writing community about like who can write what. So, you know, if you're writing, like I pretty much am always probably gonna write about black girls because like I never saw black girls in books when I was growing up and like I'm really interested in portraying different 
types of black girls and all that. But I, so Stephanie is the <laughs> an anomaly because I think, um, you know, you don't often see an author of color in the YA community who's writing white characters or writing non-black characters if you're black. Um, so I kind of want to know what that's like on the other side of not like, you know, telling people sort of like, well, that's not your story to tell, but sort of going out there and telling a story that people don't expect you to tell. Yeah. Um, this was a fun conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting and it's something I've thought about a lot. I mean, I think part of it is my own personal experience. Like, I'm half black, half Mexican, I was adopted by a white family. Like, it was this very specific lens that I think whenever I view my own identity through and that to write it would feel very personal and very, like, that's you. It's <laughs> always my deep fear. Like, I don't want to write a character that's me. Uh, which I think is the opposite of a lot of authors seem to want to like, I didn't see myself when I was growing up, so I want to write that character, and I know, um, at least with the types of books I write, that's, <laughs> that's less of an appeal to me, but that's a bit of a, yeah, <laughs> um, that makes it harder, but I think then there is, well, and then I do, I really believe that there is value or interesting things uh, to write, because I think it's one thing to write about one's own experience and, uh, that in a way can sometimes be really honest. I also think it can be hard for it to be really honest because we all want to see ourselves in the best light. We all sort of have our own halo over ourselves and we attribute like our failures to like, oops, that was a mistake versus like other people's failures or character flaws. <laughs> and it's hard to be honest. Um, and so I think sometimes it's easier when it's not like writing about someone who's representing, you think is representing you to be able to be very honest. Um, but I also think there's interesting things uh, for brown people to say about the way white people see them. Um, I do think like white boys and brown girls ends up being a theme in a lot of my books and trying to like, explore some of those dynamics in those relationships. Um, although it is usually from the boys' side, although the girls usually have a lot more power. I've noticed. But so I think there, there is something interesting in that, like being able to well, so if you have like a marginalized group to be from like the majority group writing the marginalized group, like that's different than going from the outside and, and writing, like how do you see that group? Um, so I think that's interesting. But then there's also, you know, it's easy to overthink, especially when I feel like, right, so like the books that I'm writing, like I said, they aren't for like people to be like, oh, I can see myself in the book or, um, <laughs> or this is like, I feel really hopeful or it's really affirming the goodness of the character. Like these are people who are, exploring really dark kind of moral places and right there's always a sense of responsibility of there aren't books about um, certain groups or certain types of people then do you want to have a really negative portrayal be the one that's out there like it's hard it's easy to overthink and again like not wanting to feel like oh, I made some choice because I felt like I didn't want you know this one book about the brown girl to be the one where she like murders somebody or like is this really terrible person and it's hard I mean I want you know again you talked about writing kind of outside and then writing these marginalized you know writing about certain groups whether um, being part of the LGBT community or having um, bipolar disorder like there's a responsibility that that feels like it's beyond just the story and what the story needs you need to understand the context and sort of what you are adding to this conversation and body of literature that's out there and is it are you helping or are you not help you know right and it's hard yeah 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 because i definitely felt like like i talk a lot about who i think has the right to write about people but then i wrote about two groups that i'm not a part of you know for this book so I think though if you do it responsibly, like I'm not going to have anything to say about it. And I think that's sort of like probably the consensus, hopefully, that people can just read. Well, and I think some some people won't like it, and that's their right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Read it. Exactly. Um, yeah. I don't know. What was it like for you? I mean, did you did you feel any extra responsibility to? Uh, not make certain choices with those characters because you were writing outside of your own experience? No, that's a good question. I really didn't. But there were so many different... Oh, also the character is... She's black and then she's Jewish. Her and her mother converted. Um, so I just had so many groups that I was writing outside of. But like to me, I guess it's um, important to think about if you are going to write outside of 
your community. Um, why am I the one to do this, first of all? And then, like, if you are, then, like, what kind of experience do you have with these groups you're writing about? So I would never want to write about a group that I have no idea about. So I feel like, you know, now, especially um, with how things are going in the world, someone might be like, well, we need more books about, like, black Muslim girls. But then you're not the one to write that if you don't know anyone who's black and Muslim. Like, you're just not, you know, you're not going to be the one to write the book that's going to change everything about that. Um, so, I mean, maybe someone will, but I'll, I'll go on record and say I was wrong. Um, but I think, yeah, it's just making sure that you do it responsibly. And I had, like, probably too many beta readers for this. I sent it to you for the mental health. I sent it to probably, like, half the people in this audience to just make sure that, like, I did not want to get it wrong. And I still surely got it wrong for someone because you can't make everybody happy and communities are not monoliths and we all know that but um i guess just yeah i just wanted to do the research and try my best and, and just try to get it right and i think the best thing i saw was someone contacted me on twitter and she was like i just wanted to tell you like i am bisexual and bipolar and this book was great and i was like thank you <laughs> like, like if there was one person i wanted to hear from it was you so <laughs> Gosh. Um, yeah, so my third book comes out next summer, almost like a year to the day of Little and Lion. We haven't like revealed anything about it yet, so I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about it, but it's another book set in LA, um, another black girl. It's um, really good. Thank you. Stephanie read it. It's uh, there's a big love triangle in that one. Like there's no not even any pretense, like it's on the back cover basically. <laughs> this is where you're in for if you want to read this book. Uh, but I really love it. Um, yeah, I really love it. So I hope other people do too. Oh, and um, Stephanie and I are both in an anthology that is coming out on September 5th. <laughs> really good at marketing. Um, <laughs> it's called Feral Youth, and it's edited by a really wonderful YA author named Sean David Hutchinson. Um, I highly recommend his work if you haven't read it. Um, he's a very, very great author. Um, so he got together this anthology of like 12 of us, maybe eight. It's a short list. Um, but it's, uh, the, the concept is based on the Canterbury Tales, um, and it's, it's about teens that go on, like, this sort of, yeah, he like, homeward bound thing. He's done these interesting anthologies that are, you know, different than just, like, commissioning different authors to write a story. On a certain topic, he's written this frame story in which he had all of us create a character, like, a teenager who's been sent away, like, they got in trouble and they get sent away to sort of this, um, like wilderness camp that's supposed to, you know, teach them how to um, get over their problems. Like, yeah, so they're, they're sent there as punishment, and they have to go on this like solo three-day trip in which, um, along the way, one of the kids like challenges everybody to tell the best story and they win a hundred bucks. And so we each had to come up with a character and why they were there, kind of what their deal was and their story. We sent those to Sean, and he wrote this frame story of the kids on the wilderness like trip. And then we wrote the stories that our characters would tell as they're like trying to win the money, so they're best stories. And so it's interesting. They're, you know, some are realistic, some are all different genres and um, meant to be true or not meant to be true for that character. And it was, yeah. it's good. Um, you know, and there, I think the theme that sort of definitely came together for all of them were ways in which, ways in which people saw the character, saw the characters that we, like the way that they were judged and seen as something um, less than who they were or you know less than their full humanity and how um, that had impacted their lives so yeah it's really lovely your character's name is Tino you got a shout out in several of the reviews <laughs> <laughs> well can you talk about what you're working on next I'm working on really it's a, a number of different things yeah, yeah. <laughs> creepy, creepy thing. Yes. All right. <laughs> um, well, do you guys have any questions for us? Don't be shy. <laughs> yes. So you didn't know much or have much experience um, with manic depression or bipolar. Yeah. What kind of research did you do in order to start diving into that subject? Yeah, um, so I did not interview anyone directly because I felt like that might be kind of a weird thing to just come up to someone. Um, and then it was also strange because I, again, where I'm like, you shouldn't write about this group that you don't know anyone from that group, and I did that. Um, 
but I read a lot of memoirs and I looked to see like what were considered like the best memoirs. So one was um, a psychologist who has uh, bipolar disorder. One is like I think two of them are artists. Um, one was a graphic novel. It was great. Um, so I read as much as I could uh, from a first person point of view. And then I also wanted to read, um, you know, about the medication and and how that would affect, you know, if you, because part of it, well, I don't want to spoil the book, but there's like sort of a debate about medication, whether or not you should take it. So I read as much about that, like how it affects you, if you're on it or not. I read about the different types of bipolar disorder. Um, and then actually my editors were very great about making sure that we got reads from every group that was portrayed in the book. Um, so they sent it to uh, what they call sensitivity readers. Um, so someone from that background that will read and tell you like you really messed up or like you know, this is good and thankfully the feedback was good so I just tried to do the hard work up front and so then it felt more like I was just writing about a character who was just a character and not just a character with bipolar disorder so it sort of hopefully be second nature. He's always, I felt like when I got married to him, it was in my marriage contract, I had to go camping once a year, and I hated it, uh, and I went, uh, I was pregnant, I went with like a tiny baby, and I was like, I'm not going anymore, <laughs> I hated it. Um, so, I, actually, I love being up there, this one, like sleeping outside. Um, but when I was younger, like when I was saying, you know, during this high school time when I was up in Humboldt, we did camp all over the place in sort of this very, I don't know, sort of wild and free and fun way. So I do kind of have nice memories of that. But I did a lot of research for that specific place, um, which involved just, I mean, we did go there eventually, but um, <laughs> looking at a lot of topographical maps and reading, there's all different, you know, trail guides and mapping out, I took some liberties with it, but um, trying to understand the terrain and then um, reading again first-hand accounts of people who have made this um, trip and what they, you know, just what everything looks like, what it feels like, what kind of dangers and hazards are out there. Um, so that was a lot of the research that, that I did. And I did do a lot Spoiler, but a lot about like cold weather and snow. I did do a lot of research about that. Um, I think in some ways, it wasn't like it was the story was inspired by it, but um, I feel like to me, it always upset me because I remember it was the Mount Hood school disaster. I feel like I'm dating myself because it was back in the 80s. Um, so Mount Hood in Oregon, um, there was a school trip that went out hiking and like a couple of people turned back because I, I don't know why they turned back. Like someone got hurt but the rest of the group continued on and this like freak snowstorm came in and trapped them. They had to like build a cave and sleep inside and then a couple of the students decided to climb down after a day or two. I think like, they were the only ones that lived when they got back, most of them were dead and it was just this horrific thing. And it, um, I feel like that really sort of stuck with me, this idea of like these freak things that can happen if you have no uh, control over the weather, mother nature, and um, or anything when you're you know, you're at the whim of um, of anything. You know all these things you sort of think we have control over in our lives. The minute you go in this other environment, like you really know nothing. Um, so wanting to kind of explore what that's like. So main research about the cold weather and the snow and how people might try and survive in that. Yeah, no, that's a good question for my friend who was born and raised in LA. Um, yeah, I 
Well, so by the time, let's see, no, when I started writing it, I was definitely in Echo Park. Um, I don't remember, I don't think the story was set in Echo Park at that time, maybe, or it was like not as like much detail about it. Um, but by the time I was, no, you know, when I worked on this book, I lived in Echo Park the whole time I worked on this book. Yeah. So I think really I just wanted to sort of capture, um, like not make it about me, because I mean, we all know I kind of like stay in the house a lot anyway, so it's not like I'm really going to be like out at these play, like out at Echo Park Lake on a Saturday. Um, <laughs> so I kind of wanted to like write about someone who would, you know, who was like... <laughs> Who is like actually taking advantage of like this wonderful neighborhood that they have and um, yeah I think it all sort of started though when I first moved um, to Echo Park I don't think I knew about Angelino Heights which is like that great neighborhood uh, historic neighborhood of uh, Victorian houses and so I was like oh like maybe well I actually ended up moving there not into a cool Victorian but like next to you know the cool Victorians. And then I was like, what would it be like if like this family was living in one of these cool old Victorians? Like that's like a dream. And then it just sort of went from there because, you know, in LA a lot of us do get sort of like stuck in our neighborhoods and we don't it takes a lot to get us to other sides of town. Um, and so yeah, I think I just was like, okay, if they're in Echo Park, they're in Echo Park and that's where they're gonna be, and I'm gonna put as much as I can about like how much I love it. But yeah, it was easy to separate it, I think, from myself. actually recognize like the themes that are like from a point it was like a couple years later and I was like oh yeah that's actually what I was writing about but like I didn't I don't know it takes a while for me to actually see um I don't know <laughs> well so uh, my first book was uh, called Charm and Strange and then hers points uh which I think are actually very similar they're sort of these protagonists who you know, I mean, I guess they're sort of set up as mysteries, but really the mystery is them trying to understand themselves mm -hmm. um, and and things that happen to them that are not understandable and weren't at the time that they happened and this sort of, like, what happens when you become a teenager and begin to understand and put together things that happened when you were younger and were very traumatic right. um, and unraveling them in certain ways. So those were very similar. Uh, these one, well, um, I don't know about this one. I would say like my third one deals a lot with like being lonely as a teenager. And I would say a lot of your protagonists are sort of, like I'm thinking of um, Emerson in particular. Emerson from your third book, Delicate Monsters. He just seemed like a profoundly like lonely character to me. Give me Miles. Well, no, well, no, I know Miles. No, I don't know Emerson. Like, <laughs> sorry, Miles kind of freaks me out. Um, he, but he was like, kind of an obviously lonely character on the page. I don't know Emerson. Like, there was sort of a loneliness that came through with him. <laughs> sorry, Miles. I have a question for Marie. <laughs> yeah. Do you know the answer to your question? Oh, that's what I was interested. Did you find anything in common? No, but your first book's for sure, I thought of that. Um, but these two, I mean, they both involve um, idea of love, right? Teenage love, and what that means. Yours, for sure, I feel like the heart of it is kind of like a love story. Um, a messed up one. <laughs> That's kind of weird. I mean, and yours isn't necessarily a love story, but you explore that. Like, right. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, well, so, uh, right now I work at a graduate school, so I'll be teaching, and then I supervise students doing clinical. I was going to ask you if you 
actually tried very hard not to do that. I imagine. That would be Yeah, that's a pretty hard. Yeah, but you know, that's sort of like the very you know, you, you pull stuff from all different parts of life, but that is like I try to keep that's a very strict boundary, but making sure that that's not where things are coming from. Not that I mean there's things that maybe I learned from work that I do, but nothing about the client. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I feel like I also try and, I mean, obviously, like, I'm interested in psychology, I'm curious about people, I'm curious about their stories, I'm curious about the meaning they make about it. Um, but I try and take kind of, like, a lot of the clinical hat off when I'm writing, just because I don't want to write about a disorder, I don't want to write about symptoms, I want to write about people, and so a lot of times, like, I just try not even to give diagnoses, because many put a diagnosis on the page, right, like, that's you know, this sort of very uh, reductive thing in and of itself, I and mean, language is, at the minute you say depression, like, oh, everyone has their idea of what depression is, and then it's like, is this depression is like what I know depression to be like, rather than somebody's unique context and experience. Um, so I guess I think about language a lot in that way, about like naming things and what I don't name, um, because I don't want it to be categorized, like, I, mean, I want it to be someone's unique thing, and I want people to experience that with somebody, whatever name may or may not be appropriate to put to it. So, um, yeah. Can you guys talk a little bit about writers that you like from all genres, mm -hmm. not just YA, but that who you think of as influencers on me, not like people, I want, I need to write the next Nora Ephron book or whatever it is, <laughs> but you know, people who you look to as sort of like guideposts in terms of the kinds of writing the inspired to or kind of influence yourself. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think in, uh, I kind of forget the one I usually go back to, in terms of YA is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name, but Robert Cormier, Cormier, who wrote The Chocolate War, and he just wrote these, uh, we wrote young yeah, adult books, or books routines that were very dark and bleak and often didn't have happy endings, but to me they felt very honest. Um, you know, Chocolate Wars is a sort of very bleak book in which this kid stands up for something he thinks is right, and by the end, kind of the journey he takes is like, that was the wrong thing to do. I should have just shut up and conformed. I have no power. That was kind of stupid. And that, you know, but to me, at least as a teenager, was like, wow, here's an author who will tell me the truth. Because every other adult will say, like, just be yourself. And you just know that they're not being honest or telling you what they are, you know. They're scared not to, to, to tell you something other than the truth. They're scared to tell you, like, something you need to shut up and conform because that's the only way you're going to survive to so just do that. Um, you know, because that's scary or that's a scary truth and they don't, you know. And I'm an adult and I have kids and I get it. And for me, being an author who can write books that I feel are honest and that a reader could come to my books and feel like they were going to get the truth, um, is important to me, so that's definitely like a value that I put on the writing. Um, I think I would say Zizi Packer has been like a big influence on me because she, so I've been waiting for her novel for like literally like 12 years now. I don't know, I know she's still writing it. It's gonna be some huge epic thing. Um, but she wrote uh, a book of short stories called Drinking Coffee Elsewhere. I probably recommended it to everyone here. Um, I loved it so much. I think because it was the first sort of stories or um, you know fictional account from a black or from black. I think it's all mainly black girls that she writes about in that book um, and black women. But that was kind of the first where it was like they're living in like the suburbs and like they're not living in the city. And I'm like, oh my god, this is like me, you know. And so that was sort of gave me. And then also. Um, one book in particular is Colson Whitehead's Sad Harbor. Um, same kind of deal. Um, he and his brother in the book are like, you know, they grew up around like a lot of white kids and like that was my experience in Springfield, Missouri. And so it was sort of like, oh, you can actually write about your life. You know, it doesn't have to be like an autobiography, but you can actually write about your experiences and people are going to believe them. Because <laughs> I just sort of hadn't seen that yet um, in books. So those are two that like I really admire and that really I think have had like a good effect on me. Thanks. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<laughs> my father was an, an editor, so I knew elements. Of, I know elements very well. But I, I don't. I don't know if you studied writing. I never studied yeah. writing, um, like in college or beyond. Um, but I feel like I did study film quite a bit, which I do think like you can study sort of any sort of storytelling medium and get a lot out of it, like deconstructing what it is you like about something and what it means and why you might like it, um, you know, and why we like the types of stories or characters that we do. And then once you can understand that, you can kind of play against type or you can play against, you know, tropes and ideas and conventions and that makes it fun. Um, you know, I think the actual like construction of writing, probably from reading a lot and practicing, uh, at least has been the most helpful for me. And then once I got serious writing, you know, having critique groups where people, not just people critiquing my work, but critiquing other people's work is really helpful and trying to um, be able to communicate why something works or doesn't work, being able to actually put words and um, thought behind that has taught me a lot as well. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I didn't go to school for writing. I took like one creative writing class in college, I think like my senior year. Um, and then I applied to a bunch of MFA programs and like got rejected from all of them. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm just gonna try to like read and as much as I can and try to like learn as much from that. Uh, but I'm also, I'm a copy editor in my day job, so I'm reading constantly. And so it's, it's an interesting thing to sort of like read a book and you know, by the time it gets to the copy edit stage, it should be done um, with any kind of structural edits. But like sometimes reading and just seeing like, oh, this is working for me or this isn't, like that can be really helpful. Kind of like she was saying, like reading even from like a technical, you know, point of view has been helpful. But uh, yeah, I would say just reading and also critiquing, like she said that, like actually critiquing other people's work. But yeah, overall reading, I think has helped the most. And just to keep writing, because you can see yourself getting better after a while, um, even if you, might take a couple books. <laughs> For me, it took about three books before my first one was published, so. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by. And we hope to see you soon.